First Samuel chapter 16. And uh, I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. This is a familiar passage of Scripture, I think, to many people. First Samuel chapter 16, verse number 1. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go, I will send thee to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee, and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves, and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons, and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance, and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, Lord. Thank you for letting us be here in the house of God. Thank you for a good day that we've had thus far. Lord, we know you're not finished. We know you have a desire to work in our hearts and in our lives. And I pray that we would approach this evening service with the same enthusiasm, And Lord, with the same sincerity as we did this morning. Lord, may we approach it with our hearts open and desirous of you doing a work in us. Lord, we'll thank you for what follows and we praise you for all that you do. Lord, we love you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter number 16, of course, records the anointing of uh, David to be the king over Israel. And I remember growing up, I grew up in a Christian school and it seemed like this was one of those passages that got preached on a lot. You know, people would come and preach in chapel, and we were in Bible class all the time. There would be special meetings. And you often heard this passage preached on, and particularly so from the perspective of, of David, and how that the Lord doesn't look on the outside and judge on the outside, but God looketh on the heart, and how that God knows who and what we are, and our heart must be uh, clean and sincere before the Lord, and whatever talents we may have or not have, externally speaking, whatever abilities we may consider ourselves to be blessed with, that's not the relevant uh, portion of, of what God is considering, but rather He's looking at our heart and how submitted it is unto Him. And certainly there's much truth to be said. I'm glad the Lord does look on the heart. I'm glad he does not judge exclusively on externalities, amen, Uh, because none of us would belong doing what we're doing if the Lord was just looking at talents and good looks. 
You took that better than I thought you would. Amen. But I want tonight to instead look at this passage of Scripture. I want to look at it from David's perspective, though it's very instructive. We could even look at it from Saul's perspective, and there's much truth to be gained there. But I instead want to take a moment and consider this passage from the perspective of Samuel the prophet. In fact, I would say that probably this passage, if we're looking at it with clear eyes and with an unbiased perspective, is really more about Samuel than it is about David. It's about the prophet of the Lord and God's strange and unusual instructions to him and God guiding him in uncharted territories and in an unlooked-for path. When we think about Samuel and what this must have been like to him, this was a watershed moment. This was a transitional moment in his life and in his relationship with the Lord. I mean, you understand that Samuel's an old man by this point. And when he began serving the Lord as a young child, Israel didn't have a king. In fact, it was forbade to, to Israel to have a king. God had forbidden them from ever having a king. And in that period of time, because of the, the obstinance and rebellion of the children of Israel, God had in His patience permitted them to have a king. And Samuel had gone through his entire adult life anticipating that he would be sort of the uh, administration of the will of God in the kingdom of, of Israel. And then all of a sudden God says, go and anoint Saul. I've permitted the people to take a king. They'll have it no other way. And Samuel goes from being a singular authority in Israel to now being subordinate, at least in a civil sense, unto Saul, who is a suspect individual in the very beginning. Uh, just as, I mean, when we look at Saul, uh, if we was picking kings, he might have been the tallest and best looking, but he was a poor choice for it. And so Samuel has all of a sudden now heard the Lord say, if the people want a king, I'll give them a king. And he's even heard the Lord say concerning Saul that if Saul would follow the Lord and would be upright and would obey the word of God, that God would bless him in spite of the fact that his very presence was a symbol of man's rebellion. He still says, if he'll do right, if he'll live right, I'll bless him. And now all of a sudden, Samuel's ministry goes from leading and administering the nation of Israel to now being a counselor and an advisor and a support system for this young king, Saul. Now, sadly, things did not go as well as they could have and as well as God gave genuine opportunity for them to go because Saul does not follow the Lord. In fact, he is a a, a carnal individual. He is a selfish individual. He is a petty individual. He is childish in his disposition. He is immature in his choices. And it does not take very long, about two years, and Saul has already trespassed against the Lord in such severity that God says, I've turned away from Saul. He's no longer the will of God. Now I'm going to pick a new king. And now here's Samuel an old man, once again, at another moment in his life, where seemingly the will of God has changed for him. I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say. The will of God does not change. But context, people, and circumstances do. 
we often in our life, and I don't know why this is, I don't know if it's maybe old sort of Presbyterian perspective that's leaked through into Christian psyche, but we somehow convolute and, and equate the idea of God's will with the notion of destiny or of fate, as though it's just something that is going to happen, and it's not. it exists within a vacuum, it's not affected by human decisions, it's not affected by human choices, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches very often that God will lay choices out before men, will lay decisions before them, will lay paths before them, and His promises hold. But listen, though God never changes, men are constantly changed. And as such, as men change, as they make decisions, it's not that God is fickle, it's not that God is flippant, it's that the promises that He made very often, uh, and very many of which are conditional, all of the sudden the direction and course of them changes as mankind makes free will volitional choices in His own life. That's why there's times the Bible will describe the Lord as repenting concerning things. Well, God didn't repent. God doesn't change. He's the Lord God. He changeth not. Well, what happened? Well, people change. And God, though His promises are immutable, though His character is unchangeable, as men change, it changes the way that God interacts with and responds to them. And here is a perfect example, because God's promises to Saul were true. If you follow me, if you obey me, if you seek after me with all your heart, then I'll prosper you, I'll bless you, I'll use you. And God meant that when He said that to Saul. But guess what? It wasn't God that changed, it was Saul that changed. But because Saul changed, the will of God changed. Here we find Samuel as an old man trying to find the will of God for himself. He wasn't just picking a king for the people. He was picking a king for himself. He wasn't just trying to find out the king over the nation. He was trying to find out the king over his own family. And he's seeking the will of God once again. He's in the dark. He's desirous to know what the heart and the mind of God is. I want to preach to you on this thought tonight. Course corrections. Course correction. Samuel's already been through a course correction. He's already seen God go from the administration, civilly speaking, of, of, of a prophet to now all of a sudden a king is reigning over the people and he's adjusted and he's followed the will of God and he's been obedient and now here he is again at a late stage in life. There's another course correction. And how's he going to know what the will of God is? Consider this passage tonight from Samuel's perspective. And by way of introduction, let me just note three things. It must have made this difficult for him. Let me say, number one, when we study the life of Samuel and his relationship with Saul, it's apparent, number one, that Samuel loved Saul. The preacher, why was this such a hard decision? I'll tell you why, because Samuel loved Saul. It was not merely a passing or a business interaction and relationship that him and Saul had. It's apparent that Samuel had a fatherly affection and love for Saul. He desired for Saul to grow up and to serve the Lord. How many of you just learned the other day that you didn't grow up till the other day? Amen. He may be a grown man, but he's still a young man. And Samuel looks at him with with tender fatherly affection and he desires nothing more than the will of God for his life. And he's, he's rooting for him. You understand what I mean? He's rooting for him. He loves him. And now the Lord looks at him and says, Samuel, how long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him? Man, it's hard to come to terms with the fact that sometimes people make mistakes we can't rescue them from. Sometimes people do things in their life that you can't stop consequences 
from. And how heartbreaking it must have been for Samuel to look at this young man that he loved and to see him destroying his life. Let me say, not only did Samuel love Saul, but he had invested in Saul. He had been the one that had anointed Saul. He had been the one. I mean, you understand what that means. I mean, just for God to command a person to be anointed was enough to certify them in the eyes of the people. But you also understand that that action implicitly had the endorsement of Samuel wrapped up within it as well. I mean, you understand that Samuel's the man of God. And when he puts that horn of oil and pours it over the head of Saul, what he's saying is, I've heard from God and Saul is it for the nation. He was literally, Saul's reputation was laundered in the good name of Samuel the prophet. His name was tied up inextricably with him. And you know how it must have broken his heart. Think about all the time he had poured into Saul. Only for Saul to make the mistakes he did. Not only did Samuel love Saul and he had invested in him, but I'd say this, Samuel hoped in Saul. Samuel seemed to latch on to that promise that God had given. Saul, if you'll walk with me, I'll walk with you. If you'll obey me, I'll bless you. If you'll seek me, I'll prosper you. And it's obvious when you look at the interactions in the prior few chapters that, that Samuel has with Saul when Saul trespasses in and, and, and gives an offering on the altar which was not his office to do and times when he, when he robbed the spoil from the battle that God had forbade him from doing that when Samuel talks to him, there's this deep tone and note of disappointment in his voice. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, his... He had hoped in Saul for the future of Israel. He thought now that they have a king, maybe God will give them a good king and and He will bless them because of it. And all of that is wrapped up in Saul. Now all of a sudden it's all falling apart. I tell you, sometimes uh, as you do the will of God, you'll fall in love with the will of God. You'll become invested in the will of God. You'll put your hopes in the will of God. All the while never realizing that somehow you've missed putting all those things in the God whose will it is instead of in the will that you have divined His purposes to be. All of this is wrapped up and now God comes and says, Saul or Samuel, I'm changing direction. I've not changed, but Saul has changed. And because he's changed, we must go a different direction. What's Samuel going to do with that. I want you to notice three principles and then I'll be done tonight. Notice number one, we see Samuel following God's will. Now, you're going to say, well, of course, preacher, he goes and anoints David. No, he don't even know God's will in the first few verses. But let me tell you, you don't have to know God's will to follow God's will. Following God's will is a matter of settling your heart upon the priority of his purposes, irrespective of what you may or may not know about them. It's settling your heart that you want God's way, no matter what that way is. That you want God's will, no matter what that will is. And in the first three verses, here's what we find. We find God working in the heart of Samuel and asking him to commit and to follow him, no matter what it brings. Notice verse 1 and the recommitment of Samuel's persistence. The Bible says this, The Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Now, it's apparent Samuel was heartbroken because God says you're mourning for him, you're grieving for him. How long, Samuel, will you do that? Here's the instruction. Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse, 
the Bethlehemite. For I have provided me a king among his sons. It's interesting because God didn't just know what king he'd pick. He knew what his name was. He knew the numbers of hairs on his head. He knew every single mistake he'd make and every victory that he'd win. He knew every good decision, every bad decision. But he does not disclose any of that to Samuel. He does not say, go pick Jesse. He'll be the good-looking one out tending the sheep. He doesn't say, go find, uh, go to Jesse's house. Go find David. He'll be the youngest one. Go, go to him and, and anoint him. No, he holds all that back. And all he says is this, Samuel, are you ready to get up and move on and follow me? Can I tell you, in our lives, the first step to finding the will of God is committing to following the will of God. We have a backwards perspective. We want God to present His, His report to us. We want Him to present His, His presentation and, and His sort of, uh, you know, uh, plans for our life. And then, you know, we'll look them over and we'll take careful, considerate thought and then we'll see if it's something we can agree to. But that's not the way God works in your life or in mine. God says obedience first, then guidance. We want guidance in obedience because we want to maintain the control and authority. But the fact is, in our lives, here's what God demands and requires of us, not that we agree with His plan. Oftentimes, that's why He don't tell us His plan, is because we wouldn't agree with it if we knew it. He says, just follow me and I will guide you. In other words, Samuel has to come to terms with the fact that the plan has changed. He has to come to terms with the fact that God is perfect And he has to come to terms with the fact that the will of God is best. The very first step in your life in finding the will of God is making your mind up that you'll do the will of God when you do find it. God's not interested in doing parlor tricks for you. God's not interested in just dispensing to you sort of crystal ball predictions and premonitions about what your life may or may not be. You can go down uh, to the uh, madam that that uh, that uh, you know reads palms and and lines in your hands and, and and the bumps on your head. Let her tell you that God will give you clear divine direction, but only if you'll obey Him. I see His recommitment to persistence, and then verse two is interesting. Samuel said, "How can I go?" What does he mean by that? Well, here's what he means. If Saul hear it, he will kill me. I, I, don't, I don't have time to preach it. But you understand that in that simple phrase, Samuel summarizes our trepidations about doing the will of God. He says, how can I? That's not really the question. What he's really saying is what will happen if I do. How many times do we look at God and say, God, how can I? But what we really mean is, Lord, what will happen if I do? You know, the fact is nothing was preventing him from going. But he makes it seem as though he was prevented because he did not have the full assurances that he felt like he ought to have. I can tell you in doing the will of God in my life, if I waited for God to make promises that everything was going to work out smooth and easy, I would have probably never done anything for God. Because oftentimes this matter of doing the will of God is an exercise of faith. We want faith. We just want faith such that we don't have to depend on it. And Saul looks at him, or Samuel looks at him and says, how can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. In other words, if he finds out, uh, I won't be around to anoint nobody, Lord. And the Lord said, take an heifer with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. In other words, here's what he received. He received the recommitment of persistence. But number two, the reassurance of protection. God very simply says, if you'll do my will, I'll protect you. He does not exactly say how this will transpire. It's interesting because Saul was a violent man. 
He would spend many years doggedly pursuing after David, tried on multiple occasions to murder him in anger and in cold blood. Samuel wasn't far afield when he said, Saul will kill me. But the Lord says, Samuel, if you'll obey me, if you'll tend to my will, I'll tend to your protection. Listen, there's no safer place to be than in the heart and center of God's will. I see the reassurance of protection, and then I see the reliance on providence he had. Verse 3, he says this, Call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do, and thou shalt anoint me unto me, him whom I name unto thee. In other words, Samuel looks at the Lord says, How can I go? I won't know who to find. I won't know what to do. Saul will find out. Saul will kill me. The Lord says, I'll take care of Saul, Samuel. All you need to do is follow and obey me. And when you get there, when you need to know, you will know. Much frustration is spent, I think, in the heart and life of the believer at God over the fact that he won't tell us things before we need to know things. (laughs) It's been one of the good things with me uh, God has taught me through parenting children um, is how often that I, as a parent, have to tell them when it's time to know, you will know. And, you know, I used to think that parents told you that just because they was mean. Did you ever think that? I used to think that. They're just telling me that because they just think it's funny. They just like to see me squirm. But now as a parent, I realize there are a great many times that I can't tell them something they wouldn't understand. They wouldn't know how to respond. Maybe it'd terrify them or maybe it would it, it would encourage and, and excite them when their hopes might be let down later. But whatever the reason might be, how many times I must say, you're just going to have to trust me and when it's time to know, you'll know. I'll tell you this, God, He's not going to lay out a five-year plan for you. Be nice if He would. Be nice if He'd do that for me. But the fact is, we'd fall all to pieces if He did. Uh, We'd either get so excited, we'd try to do it in our own flesh, and we'd make a mess of it, or we'd get so scared, we'd crawl up under the blanket and never want to come out. Whatever the reason may be in your life or in mine, here's what we can rely on. When the time comes to know, God will tell us what we must know. God has never ill-equipped anyone for the will of God. He's never ill-equipped anyone for the task He set their hand at. And if He's not disclosed to you a matter, it's not because He doesn't know. It's because it's not time for you to know yet. But when the time comes for you to know, you know what He'll do? Hey, he, and I think we've sort of, we've, we've misunderstood something. We read there in Elijah's life, whenever he's on the run from the Lord and he's there at Mount Horeb and, and, uh, the Bible describes him as in the cave and, and how that the great earthquake shook and, and the great wind blew and the great fire came through and then he heard a still small voice. And I've heard preachers sort of use that to imply that God somehow uh, speaks in a quiet voice and we've got to be real meditative and real contemplative. Let me tell you, God can raise His voice when He needs to. And the God of all creation, He don't stutter and He don't stammer and He don't whisper. Certainly it takes a willing heart to hear His will for your life. But if you're willing, He'll speak clearly to you. I think many people sit around looking for some uh, sign in the stars, looking uh, for some uh, sign and symbol, throwing out fleeces and trying to give God and put words in His mouth and give Him occasion to tell Him things that God is well equipped to explain to us at any moment if He desires to do so. Often, listen, it's not His inability to speak that is the impediment. It's our unwillingness to hear that is the impediment. But if we're willing to hear when it's time to know, He'll tell us. I see Samuel in this passage, and I see him following God's will. But then number two, I want you to see Samuel finding God's will. There's a difference between following his will and finding his will. Uh, Jonah knew the will of God, but he didn't follow it. 
Uh, Abraham followed the will of God, but he didn't know it. And it's not synonymous that just because we don't know His will, we can't follow it to the best of our ability. Nor is it a given that just because we know His will that we necessarily will follow it. Samuel had followed the will of the Lord, but now in verse 4 down to verse number 12, we see him finding the will of God. How does a person find the will of God? I understand the Bible on several occasions speaks explicitly that something and a certain matter is the will of God. And everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Abstain uh, from fornication. Uh, the Bible talks about that uh, every man keeping his own vessel is the will of God. But I also understand, and I want to be honest and transparent with you, God's will touches on more than just vast principles in our life. God has an opinion about where we work and where we go to church and what we do, who we marry, what we buy, the kind of car that we drive, uh, the kind of uh, you know decisions that we make. God has a will about those things. And I want to know God's will about those things. I don't just want to know God's will in vast principles. I want to know it in particulars when I need to know it in particular. So how can I find the will of God. Well, Samuel teaches us here. Notice verse 4. The Bible says this, And Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem. Here we, we see Samuel finding God's will with his feet. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, the first thing he did was he went somewhere. And where did he go? He knew to go to Bethlehem, so he went to Bethlehem. Let me give you something that might twist your brain in a knot. He was in the place of God's will in order to learn God's will. You know where you won't find the will of God? Out of the will of God. You're going to say, well, now, wait a minute, preacher. I want to know the will of God, so how can I get in the will of God if I don't know the will of God? Well, let me tell you, the will of God is a big old swimming pool. You don't just have to be in that section or this section. Find a section of the will of God and swim around there, and God will come find you. It's not a small matter of our life. And here's the thing. Samuel didn't know everything. But he did know one thing. He knew it was at the house of Jesse in the city of Bethlehem. He didn't know who it was going to be, but he said, I'm going to go ahead and get there. I don't want to be late when God shows up. I'll tell you, in your life, you want to know the will of God for your life? Do the will of God for your life. And you'll learn more of the will of God for your life. If instead we stub up in rebellion and disobedience and say, well, I'm just going to go hide in my corner and God can find me when He's ready, you're going to live the rest of your life in the corner. But if instead you'll say, now, Lord, this matter I do know to be your will, so I'm going to ably and obediently perform it. I'm going to be in the place of your will to learn more of your will. I see him finding God's will with his feet. And then verse 4, at the end of it, I see him finding God's will with his hands. The Bible says this, the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, comest thou peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. I want you to notice here, Samuel is not idle. He is serving the Lord. Now, there's much in regards to uh, Old Testament worship, particularly at this season in Israel's history. Things were really not as, as structured as they probably should have been in some respects. And there's things that we may not fully understand about the nature of the service that Samuel is performing here. But it's apparent to me that this service was two things. One, it was done in obedience to God. That's what it says earlier in the passage. Verse number 3, the Lord says to Samuel, call Jesse to the sacrifice. Go and sacrifice to the Lord. It's also apparent that that this was a common expression of devotion and worship towards the Lord. So here's what he's doing. He's serving God until he knows what the will of God is. 
God's will was revealed to him while he was serving the Lord. It's not in idleness that the will of God is disclosed to us. It's in obedience. And oftentimes we want to say, well, I'm just going to sit and do nothing until God tells me. But the fact is, most of the time, hey, listen, listen what the Lord says in the New Testament. He says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Here's what he says, I will give you rest. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In other words, the rest comes under the yoke. The rest comes under the burden. We want to say, I will lay down the yoke and I will lay down the burden and I will get my rest. But that's not the kind of rest that God gives. He says, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. The fact is, the best rest you'll ever get will be in serving the Lord. It's a rest that goes deeper than what the beach can provide. It's a rest that goes deeper uh, than what the mountains can give. It's a rest that goes deeper than what the lakes can give you. And I'm not against going to any of those places, but I'm just saying this. If you're looking for the will of God, the best thing you can do is knuckle down and serve God, and He'll give you the direction you need. I see Him finding God's will with His feet. I see Him finding God's will with His hands. Look at verse 6. I see Him finding God's will with His ears. Bible says this, it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, now Eliab must look like me, because this is what the Lord says, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused it. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. This is a very familiar verse, very famous, often we'll quote it, and there's great comforting truth to be found in it. But can I just notice a simple passing thought here? God spoke. Samuel listened. Samuel could have said, now, no, oh Lord, this is the one you want for a king. See, Israel already had a king that had been picked for his uh, height and for his good looks. And it had all fell to pieces. And now Samuel is hearing from God and God saying, Samuel, you're making the same mistake the people made. You're looking at broad shoulders and strapping biceps and you're thinking they make a good king, but that's not the case. It's a heart that is fixed upon me. And he's saying, though all of your natural inclination may tell you that Eliab is it, it is not him, Samuel. Listen to me, don't listen to you. (laughs) If I could give you one simple statement, One fundamental principle to knowing and finding the will of God, it would be this. Listen to God, not you. You're wrong. Say, well, I'm not always wrong. Well, no, when you agree with God, you're right. But when you disagree with God, you're wrong. Because God's never been wrong. And so here's what Samuel does. When God begins to speak, he begins to listen. Look at verse 11 with me. We see him finding the will of God, not just with his feet and his hands and his ears, but we see him finding it with his mind. The Bible says this, Samuel said unto Jesse, are here all thy children. Now, here's what had happened. They'd come through like ducklings one at a time. And every time the Lord said, nope, 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 nope. And all the boys have passed through. Samuel's saying something's wrong here. And here's what he could have done. He could have said, well, it didn't seem to work out well. Let's go back and pick Eliab. He'd be the best. He could have said, let's run them through again and see if I get a good feeling about one of them when they're walking through. He could have said, well, God's left me without direction, so I guess it's my prerogative. I'll choose who I want. But that's not what Samuel does. He looked at Jesse and he said, are here all thy children? He inquired a little further, you understand. He didn't have clear direction about the mind of God. And instead of making an assumption, instead of trusting gut instinct, he inquired a little further. 
He said, Jesse, are you sure this is all of them? And lo and behold, Jesse said, there remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. I see him serving and finding the will of God with his mind. What do you mean, preacher? Well, I would say this. He did not settle for less than God's will. He knew God had a perfect choice and a perfect plan. And he could have changed his mind about following and compromised his desire and said, well, you know, things don't seem to be working out. We haven't had clear direction about it. I don't understand and know fully. So I'm just going to compromise my commitment and just make the decision best as I can. But he steeled his mind and said, no. God has sent me here with a reason. God has told me no for all of these boys for a reason. And I don't want anything else, and I don't want anything less than God's will in this matter. I'll tell you this, if you'll settle for less than God's will, then that's what you'll get. If you'll settle for less than God's will, then that's what you'll get. By the same token, there's nothing that God will send us to do that when it comes time that we must know that He will not let us know. He won't let us know in advance. He won't do it just to puff up our ego or just to illuminate our interest. But when it comes time to know, God will tell us. And we should settle for nothing less than His mind and His will about it. Here's what Samuel said. Samuel said, it may be my mind, but it's not God's mind on the matter. He didn't have the mind of God yet. He didn't have God's yes yet. And because he didn't have that, he said, I will not pour that oil over anyone. I see he served and sought the Lord's will. He was finding God's will with his feet and his hands and his ears and his mind. But then look at verse number 12. He finds the will of God with his heart. The Bible says this, He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. Now let me pause and define that a little bit. Ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. It implies a sort of, of, of beauty that's associated with youth. In other words, he is not the strapping, stalwart young man that Eliab is, but he's sort of a fresh-faced young boy. He's he's, he's tanned from working in the fields. He's bright-eyed. He seems naive. He does not necessarily seem like the kind of person that you'd follow into battle, though one day he'd lead hundreds of thousands into battle. And it would have been very easy for Samuel to say, this cannot be him. But look what happens. Verse 12. The Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Here's what he did. When God finally told him, he trusted it. It was not the choice he would have made. didn't matter. He trusted it. It did not seem to be a choice that would be popular with many people. And in fact, it takes seven years for David to ever assume the throne. It's literally not till he's cut off the heads of giants and they are singing songs of battle about him that people are finally willing to accept him. And Samuel could have looked at the Lord and said, Lord, this isn't it. There's no way this is it. But when God made his will clear to Samuel's heart, he said, I'll trust the Lord. I tell you, you can trust God. I know that seems simple, but oh, how we struggle with it. You can trust him. He's a trustworthy God. Sarah looked at his testimony. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, she counted him faithful that promised. She said, he's trustworthy. He's faithful. He's never made a mistake. And he's not starting now. Here's part of our problem. Part of our problem, you know, we, we, mm, we're really a lot like Jonah. <laughs> We like to pretend that we don't know the will of God, but often it's that we know it and just don't agree with it. 
Jonah wasn't ignorant and he's rebellious. He knew the will of God. You can tell that by the direction he ran. He ran as far away from Nineveh as he could. You could tell by the way that he ran. He knew the will of God, but he was unwilling to do it. He didn't agree with it. He did not agree with it fundamentally in principle. You understand why Jonah fled the way that he did? I've heard people say, well, he's a coward. He was afraid. I don't think so. I don't think a coward looks at a bunch of sailors, pagan sailors, and says, throw me off this boat if you want this storm to be calm. He, he was suicidal, you understand. I don't think he was afraid of death. I think that Jonah was prophet enough to understand that Israel was living in rebellion against God and that God was going to use human instrumentality to judge Israel as God always did. I think he was struggling with the same thing Habakkuk was struggling with when the Babylonians were used to judge Judah some hundreds of years later. But I think Jonah's looking at it and saying, if I can hold off God uh, having mercy on the Ninevites, then he'll destroy the Ninevites and he won't use the Assyrians to destroy the Israelites. That was unfettered, unbridled patriotism, misguided that led Jonah on a boat to Tarshish. It wasn't cowardice. It wasn't fear. He knew if God had mercy on Assyria, he wasn't going to have mercy on Israel. Hey, by the way, to his credit, he's right. He's right. (laughs) He knew the will of God. He just didn't like it. And I'll tell you, in my life, man, most of the mistakes I've made haven't been because I haven't known his will. I'm being honest. Most of the time it's been because I knew it and I didn't like it. I want to go my own way and do my own thing. And so we find it's going to take a submission of the heart to find the will of God. Well, Samuel finds the will of God. And we see in verse 13 a final thought, and I'll be done. We've we've, we've followed him. We've watched him as he's following God's will, as he's finding God's will. But in verse 13, very simple verse, we see him fulfilling God's will. The Bible says this, And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. I'm going to be honest with you. As I was preparing this message, I spent a lot of time and struggled with verse 13. Because there's a lot I'd love to say about it. I'd love to talk about how that, that, that the horn of oil is sort of a type of, of the Spirit of God in His unction and, and in His, His performance and, and energizing us to do the will of God. And I'll tell you this, if you're doing the will of God without the help of God, you're going to fail doing the will of God. We need the Spirit of God to lead us, to guide us, to empower us in carrying out the will of God. I, I wanted to sit and talk about how He had anointed Him in the midst of His brethren, how what He did, He did in a public sense. And when we do the will of God, we ought not be ashamed. We ought to do it in a public sense. I want to talk about how he rose up and went to Rama and how he committed this thing to the Lord and trusted it to the Lord. But the Lord won't let me say none of that. All the Lord wants me to do is just notice a simple passing thought, and that's this. Uh, When he knew the will of God, it was performed immediately. He didn't say, well, now let me pray about this. Praying time was over. He knew God's will. It wasn't time to pray about it. It was time to pray about it before. Now it's not time to pray about it. When you know the will of God, and listen, I think we ought to pray for God to bless everything we do. But once we know the will of God, it's not time to, to hem and haul. It's not time to, to, to waver back and forth. It's time to do the will of God. And here's what he did. He immediately took that horn of oil. He didn't debate it. He didn't dispute it. He didn't discuss it. He didn't call for a vote or a poll or, or, or call for, for uh, you know, uh, testing among certain constituencies or perspectives. He didn't try to find out what everybody thought. He just immediately did the will of God. I will tell you that in your life, the quicker you learn to do the will of God or the more you learn to do the will of God quickly, the better your life will go. I mean, listen, the old, uh, the, uh, 
How many times in that moment I've hesitated to do the will of God has the devil gotten victory in my life? It just took that moment of just saying, well, and that's all it took for the devil to slip into my life and to derail me from ever doing the will of God in that matter altogether. The best thing you can learn to do is when God deals with you, immediately respond in obedience. I see he fulfilled it and performed it immediately, but then I see this, God prospered it immensely. Samuel did his part. It's interesting. Samuel will not live much longer. This really, when you study the life of Samuel, Samuel dies shortly after this. And we sort of associate Samuel with the life of, of David, but that's really, that's really incorrect. Nathan was the prophet in David's life. Samuel, we really have no reason to suspect there was much more of an interaction between Samuel and David past this very day doesn't really have anything else to do with David. And yet Samuel had changed the course of Israel's history forever by pouring that horn of oil over that young man's head. And Samuel sort of stalks off in, into, the, into the silence and off the pages of God's Word. He really doesn't have much more bearing. I mean, you understand that, that this book and the one that follows it bear his name. And yet we really don't hear that much more from him from this moment forth. You know why? He had done the will of God. And the will of God is not about legacy building. It's not about making a reputation for you. It's about you being used in the function and service for God's glory. And once you've performed that, God takes it and does great things with it from that day forth. Your part and portion may be done. It's something I had to come to terms with in ministry. And thankfully, I came to terms with it, I, I hope and think very early on, that this thing ain't about me. You know, most ministries crumble because they try to make it about the men that God used to bless and favor it. You see this over and over and over again. It, it reminds me whenever God uh, took Moses on home to glory, and the Bible says he hid the body of Moses. Why? Because if it had became about the body of Moses, it would have become a thing of idolatry. They would have set up camp, never left the wilderness, and they would have been camped there to this day worshiping Moses' body. So here's what God did. He hid the body of Moses. Can I tell you that in... Boy, I'm getting way off track here, but can I tell you something? In this thing, this the local church, it's going to be the body of Christ or God's going to hide the body. You listening? It's going to be the body of Christ or God's going to hide the body. If it's my body, God will hide that body. If it's your body, God will hide that body. It's going to be the body of Christ or it's going to be hidden. And I had to learn early on, man, this thing ain't about me. If they forget Toby Weber's name ten minutes after I'm in glory, that's okay as long as they don't forget Jesus' name. If they don't build no monuments to me, if they don't ever hold no memorials for me, that doesn't matter. That's not what's important. As long as I can do my part in the will of God and serve Him faithfully, I've got all of heaven to rejoice in God's perfect providence over the matter. The world can forget my name, but listen, let it never forget His name. Samuel dies, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forth. It's interesting, man. There's a lot I could say. Hey, David did more to fix Israel than Samuel ever did. It could rightly be said that Samuel did more for Israel on that day than he did the rest of his life put together. Uh, He gave that day Israel a king that had a heart after God and after God's own heart. In other words, we obey the will of God and then we trust the consequences to the Lord. You know, it's amazing what God can do with our obedience. One of the songs in the book of Judges, 
describes the children of Israel on a day of great victory when they destroyed uh, Barak and, and, and his armies, describes one of the uh, tribes of Israel, how they willingly gave themselves. They just willingly gave themselves and how that through that God wrought a great victory. You'd be amazed what God could do if you just willingly give yourself to the Lord. You'd say, Lord, here's my life. I want you to have it and I want you to bless it. I'm willing for it to be whatever you want it to be. I'm obedient to you, God. If you'll just commit to following His will no matter what it is, you might just find His will. And then once you find His will, you can fulfill His will. And then you might be amazed how God will prosper the efforts of your life and what you've done for Him. Let's bow together tonight. A musician's going to come play. I want to give you an opportunity to meet the Lord in the altar. Would you do that tonight? If God has spoken to you about some matter, you might be seeking the will of God about a decision that you have to make. Seeking the Lord's mind about something that that you, you want nothing else and nothing less than God's mind about. If that's true and if that's you, would you meet Him in this altar? And commit and resolve yourself to the will of God. Nothing else, nothing less than God's will. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name.